Welcome to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Griego-Kyle on behalf of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. In this podcast, I discuss sustainable impact investing, how to create portfolios that match your values, and a variety of other topics such as financial education, environmental sustainability, social justice, and sustainable food systems. Do you want to know if your investments seek the kind of accountability from corporations that you demand? Listen in as I explore the burning question, are you investing like you give a damn? Hello and welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Grego Kyle from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. Kim, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Eric, how are you? I'm fantastic. Happy International Women's Day. Thank you. And same to you. I know you have daughters and I of do. course you have a wife. So I do. Yes. yes. And yeah. you, I know you honor them every day, but yeah, well, I you. do want to talk. I uh, yeah. <laughs> Candy makes you right. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. It's on our calendar. Every day. It's, yeah. like, it's a morning task, make breakfast, honor wife. Got it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to talk about International Women's Day a little bit, but um, there's a couple of topics around it that I want to discuss first okay. uh, that are related to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Remember those? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, that was a list. <laughs> right. So if, if uh, you're a new listener, you might want to go back and check out episodes 11, 14, and 16. Was a little mini series that I did about the UN Sustainable Development Goals. I never did get to all of them, but the good news is we're covering two more today. <laughs> all right, so, good deal. Yeah, well, yeah th those were really good episodes because I mean, I know that the goals had kind of some dates assigned yes. to them, and I know that you're going to revisit those at some point. Um, I believe, just by my own recollection, I think some progress has been made on those a lot of those goals so far. So that's good. I believe that is absolutely true. And uh, some of them are stalling a little bit. And mm -hmm. we'll talk about that. And honestly, it has a lot to do with the pandemic. And, you know, it, that kind of put a hold on a lot of people's lives. But oh, yeah. So today, I'm going to talk about um, goal number one, which is no poverty. Lofty goal, right? Very lofty. Yeah. Very lofty. And number eight, which is decent work and economic growth. And those two definitely go together. Yeah. Hand in hand um, for sure. Yeah. So uh, do you remember the definition of the UN sustainable development goals? You really put me here on the spot. <laughs> just, no. I, I well, you don't, but you, yeah. I mean, you could read it in my notes, but yeah. <laughs> if you don't I remember, could, off could cheat, no. you could, well, let's not do that. So let me just give you a quick definition um, the, the Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs, mm -hmm. are defining the world that we want uh, and looking at how to get that. And when I say that, I mean really making sure that no person is left behind economically, mm -hmm. in the development sense, uh, it, environmentally, all of those things. So the Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs, are a universal call to action. For everyone, uh, we want to end poverty, we want to protect the planet, we want to improve the lives of everyone around the globe. And as I mentioned, I maybe I didn't mention there are 17 of them. Yes. And, and so we're going to talk about 
one in eight. The idea behind some of these goals or most of these goals is to make a better world by 2030. And that was put out in 2015. So we're halfway there time-wise. And I am curious, I'm assuming the, the UN who put these out is keeping some sort of tabulation to see if they've made progress at least 50% of the way. I'd like to see some information on that. So maybe I'll try to research that. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, All right. So goal number one, again, it's a very lofty goal. It's to end poverty in all forms for everyone. And goal number eight, we want to talk about promoting a sustained, inclusive, and sustainable economic growth. Uh, which provides full and productive employment uh, for everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's, it's interesting when we, when I was looking at these, there's, you know, it has a lot of detail that goes into every single one of these. So I just pulled out a couple of points because I don't want to spend the entire episode today talking about the specific goals, but some notable points on goal number one Uh, in 2020, the working poverty rate rose for the first time in two decades. So that means Mm. you're working, but you're still under the poverty line for whatever country you happen to be in. And, and that is a little disappointing to see, but you know, sometimes we have to go back to move forward. So we'll see how that looks. Um, It, what happened during that two decades, it, it, you know, we pushed forward and then an additional 8 million people, workers around the globe. These are just people who are working, not people who are unemployed or mm-hmm. choose to not be working. Uh, what, what we saw was an additional 8 million workers who were plunged into poverty. And that's really all around the, the entered time. poverty. Yeah. Yeah. I and did, it's, you know, the pandemic was, was really troublesome. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think we're going to continue to see fallout from that for a long time. We also have, of course, rising inflation and the impacts of the war on Ukraine. And these are focused on uh, as well as goal number one, because what we're seeing is when things cost more, you, you run out of money faster. So mm-hmm. you end up, you know, in, in poverty, it's just a, cycle that is very difficult for some people. So Kim, do we have a definition for poverty? I don't have a full definition, but let me give you some points around what we consider poverty. It's, it's not just not having enough money. Mm -hmm. That's part of it, but it's not having the money and the resources to have food and clothing and shelter. Those are the big key pieces. Uh, sometimes you might have one, but not the others. Uh, it's It really is much more than not, not having financial reserves. But poverty can also be um, economic. You don't come from economic and political causes, not just the fact that you don't have a job. Yeah. So there's all sorts of components. The way, the way I'm, yeah, the way I, I kind of think about it is, is like you said, not having enough to sustain yourself and your family when it comes to shelter, food, water, um, you know, electricity, healthcare, right. things like healthcare, that. Healthcare, big yeah, piece, yes. Right, and and so I look at it, you know, as as some of the causes, and I, I'm I'm still reeling from that. Eight million workers have been plunged <laughs> into poverty. Right. Meaning, 
meaning most likely that I'm assuming inflation has a lot to do with that because mm -hmm. all of a sudden if prices of everything goes up and your pay doesn't it's, go up to match, then you absolutely. can't buy those things. It's inflation, but it's also a fallout from the pandemic when oh, so yes. many people were were unemployed. And yeah. it's it's going to continue to be a problem for a while. It will we'll always have some sort of poverty. I don't think we can completely get rid of it, although that is the goal of the UN mm -hmm. is to erase poverty globally. Let's let's talk about goal number eight, which has a lot to do with economic st uh, stability, not just being in in poverty or below mm -hmm. a poverty level. Um, the global unemployment rate, as we were just talking about, uh, really plunged in the last three years, and the expectation is that it will stay at pre-pandemic levels until at least 2023. So we're going to continue to see big numbers there. Throughout this year. Yeah. yeah. And here's something that's really important when we talk about economic stability and, and how our economy creates poverty and, and problems for us. One in 10 children are engaged in child labor worldwide. Now, we mentioned this a little bit mm -hmm. on the last podcast because we were talking about the 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 companies which we won't name <laughs> specifically here in the United States yeah that we're yeah. using child labor and we're talking about 160 million children yeah I, I would challenge the listener at this point because whenever I thought about child labor it was kids in sweatshops overseas right. Ch kids in rice paddies picking you know doing things alongside maybe their parents or their family right. uh, being forced to do that. Now I can't get the vision of that picture of that little kid cleaning the kill floors oh. in, in, in beef factories in yeah, the United and, States. In right. The United I, States. I have a picture in my head, but I don't actually know what those floors look like and I don't want to know. No, so yeah, no. and we need to we need to speak <sighs> up and do more about that. I have a couple other thoughts. Uh, almost a third of the world's adults struggle to get by without the financial tools they need to escape poverty and improve their lives. Mm -hmm. So they just don't have the tools. It's not just about getting a better paying job or getting a job. There are some, some tools that we need. Um, these are people who we would consider unbanked and underserved. So when I say unbanked, meaning they they do not have access to a bank account for mm -hmm. a variety of reasons. When we want to, what we want to do is promote access and the usage of uh, quality financial services, because this can help develop opportunities for these under, underserved groups, just simply having access to a bank. Again, I, I just mentioned a third of adults struggle around financial, you know, not having the financial tools. So they, they don't, they don't even have basic financial services available to them. So these folks are, are, they don't have a savings account. They mm -hmm. may not have insurance or health insurance. Uh, they don't have a way to make payments other than cash for the things that they might need. They're really losing out on a lot of opportunities that can improve their life. So what we have to do is look at how we can foster equitable growth 
in addition to just, you know, moving the whole uh, country or global systems forward, we really have to look at the, how we're doing this in an equitable fashion. Um, when we talk about the SDG goal, like poverty, number one, and reduction, we're talking about, as you, you were asking about the definition, but we want to look at job creation and gender equality and food security. Those things are all part of what puts folks into poverty. Yeah. And, and so, let me just touch on that because yeah. you know that I sold my house and I, yes. I, I moved into a house that I've had as a rental home for many, many years. And now I'm I'm directly in the middle of downtown um, in a, a much lower income area. Um, and I've always known it. I've always seen it. And it's always kind of bothered me. But now it's really frustrating me, Kim, because every corner has either a payday loan store Ugh. or a drive through liquor store. And Ooh, wow. Yeah, they still have those. They do. They <laughs> oh do. My gosh. And, and so it's, it's incredibly frustrating because I believe, and, and this is just my opinion, this is not Kim's opinion or anybody else associated with the podcast. I believe those are predatory, very predatory. And people that don't have secure bank services and have the financial um, education or are, are being served by a, an advisor that can help them those are quick fixes for cash that they need right then. And they're being charged unbelievable amounts of money to get their own money. And so yeah, that and takes money away the regulation, from their food. Right. The regulations on those um, interest rates are state by state by state. So really? if the state doesn't have a regulation, on a, a cap on that interest rate, it could literally end up being more than a hundred percent. Oh, hundreds. Yeah. yeah. So they, these are predatory. It, yeah. It's not just your opinion. It's the opinion of the sustainable investment industry as well. Yeah. And we as a whole have been going after these predatory lending institutions. So yeah, yeah it's, that's definitely a problem. Yep. And, and then of course they're found in low income areas and that, and that's yep. the, the whole point is that um, it just, it's not helping them get out of their poverty at all. It's, it's keeping them there. Absolutely. And it's, yeah. So it's frustrating. Right. And, and that is, that is definitely frustrating. And it, there's a lot of things like that, that are happening in our society, it, you know, and, and unfortunately we see that with micro lending as well. And I'm going to talk about mm. that in a couple of minutes, but first of all, I want to talk about some, um, it ways we can improve the lives of those in poverty. All right. That's you, good. you told me last time I was too negative. <laughs> no, see, now I'm being negative. I need you to pull me out of this. Right. So, yeah. So I want to make sure we go back to my, um, my, my personal goal of always sharing some positive way to make change. One of the things we need to do is fix the access to the digital world mm -hmm. that so many do not have. Um, it leaves them without the ability to um, have financial access for some mm -hmm. people. It, it, there's not a bank in every city around the world. So yeah. having uh, having some uh, good digital and internet options is going to make a huge difference. So, uh, there's a Oh, I'm trying to remember which article this was from, but it, it stated that countries with higher internet connectivity tend to have lower gender gaps in account ownership. Hmm. Uh, I, I think that's probably true for, for a lot of different reasons. Another way to improve the lives of those in poverty, focus on and maximize the, um, the inclusion of women in financial systems yeah. across the world, right? 
reduce the gap of financial account ownership, checking accounts, investment accounts between men and women. Uh, you know, I think you could probably assume that fewer women have access to these. Yeah, I, I would say that that's probably those numbers are probably changing as we speak because and not to be super morbid, but back in the day, you know, right, 40s, 50s, 60s, men typically worked, typically had the investment account. Women right. typically worked either part time or not at all taking care of the home and raising children there because that was just kind of the status quo. Men were way, way more involved in the investment side of things, and now they're dying off. <laughs> so, well, yes, that's right? true. Some and of, some of that may be switching, hopefully. Right. And But we have to also look at this on a global level of because course, there yeah, are true. countries that simply won't allow women oh, to yeah, that's have a, very good point. a bank account, yeah. um, places where they can't get education, where mm -hmm. they can't even work. Think about what's happened mm. in Afghanistan in the last yeah. few years. That's a wormhole we should go down, but it, yeah. you know, it's yeah. there. Um, we have to be focused on the ways that financial services can actually help the economically disadvantaged rather than hurting them. For example, your payday loan, you know, example is, is good. That's something that hurts mm -hmm. people in poverty. Um, for women, when we're talking about women and especially women, this is International Women's Day that we're recording this. We want to do three things. We want to help them generate income. We want them to have improved access to basic financial services and help them have a minimum standard of living. You know, we, we want to do that for men too, but, you know, women tend to be on the lower mm -hmm. part of that, um, that ladder. Well, when they're not allowed to do so many things. Right. There's, yeah. There's going to be those gaps for sure. Yeah. Chasms. Yeah. In the, in those countries, if they end up without a husband yeah. for some reason, it, it's devastating to them. I believe that through improving access and, and the usage of financial services, uh, that for women, we can realize economic empowerment across the globe. So yeah, that's that's something uh, in thinking about the positive things. Like these are things that we can help push corporations specifically forward. Mm -hmm. We want to look at areas of support in microfinance, in education, um, and make sure that we have more gender equality in the financial field. And I'll tell you, as a woman financial advisor, there are more women doing the sustainable uh, impact investing. But overall, the percentage of women is very low in financial services. Hmm. And other women tend to want to work with women. So we're, we're really lacking in, in the number of women who can help other women in this area. How do we, how do we improve that? <laughs> how do we improve that? Yeah. We are working on it in, in terms of, you know, when I say we, the social investment industry mm -hmm. has really put a focus on having more women in the financial services field. There is um, a woman I know who started an organization called Choir, and I can't remember off the top of my head what the acronym stands for, but the idea behind what they're doing is making sure that financial conferences are at minimum 50% women and minorities. 
instead of, uh, you know, no offense there, Eric, but instead of white what? men on the stage. Old right? white dudes? <laughs> right. Ruling those conferences? Please. Yeah. I've never been to those conferences where I'm no, surrounded by a bunch of old No, never, right? Yeah. I think that tends to be true in a lot of conferences, even yeah. outside the financial services industry. But what we've seen and and what they're asking us to do is to, what choir is asking us to do is to not attend a conference if they do not meet those criteria and really? tell them. Wow, yeah. that's and good. And I, I actually, this was a few years ago before choir was started, but I actually called up a conference that I'd been to a few times and told them, I am not attending your conference this year because there are so few women and minorities on your speaker list. Wow. And you know what? They uh, they called me back and wanted to have a conversation around that. Really? And how it can be improved. I love yeah. that. I do too. That's I was fantastic. not expecting that, but I was thrilled. I want to talk about microfinance. Uh, we have talked about microfinance in the past. We've talked about um, community investing, all of those things. Microfinance has some serious benefits to it. And on the flip side, there is an issue around microfinance that I, I guess I wasn't completely aware of, but it makes uh -huh. complete, it makes total sense. So let's talk about what microfinance does. Uh, it's a proven part of the formula to beat extreme poverty. Microfinance. You, I'm surprised you didn't ask me for a definition. <laughs> You'd usually do. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Kim, would you like me to ask you for a definition? I would, yes. Hey, Kim, what's microfinance? What's the definition of that? <laughs> well, you know, when we get financing, we're getting, uh, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars for a house, right? Mm -hmm. So microfinancing might be as small as $50 that typically a woman would take mm -hmm. out a loan on that so that she can maybe... I've used this example before, but it's easy, you know, buy chickens and sell the eggs and feed her family. Mm -hmm. So that's a microfinance loan. We know microfinance can boost agriculture and promote food security. Like I just said, right? You have eggs for yeah. sure. Um, microfinance offers access to healthcare where there are no other options. Hmm. And it also, microfinance also promotes gender equality and empowers women and girls. And I, I say that because it's the loans, these microfinance loans tend to go more to women because they're the ones who cannot walk into a bank and get a loan, uh, yeah. especially in some of these uh, economic countries. Well, it's sad economic countries, I guess. They're not doing so well. Yeah. And um, you've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. You know that, right? That's why I didn't ask for a definition because, yes, in fact, I think the I example have, that it, you used on, on one of the previous podcasts was um, there were some some of the ladies were getting microfinance loans for sewing equipment. Like they mm -hmm. were getting for, for cloth and thread and they were able to either repair things for folks in their local communities or create whole new outfits. And that was one of the reasons they were getting these microfinance loans. Right. I love the idea of microfinance and... Yeah. When it works, it works well, mm -hmm. but there are some controversies around it that I, again, was not completely aware of. There is a, a, a group of people who are talking about how microfinance actually exploits many 
people. And, really? and that, that number can be up in the millions of, of people who are being exploited. I know I was like, what? Um, but what we've seen is instead of having smaller institutions working on the microfinance loans, these are being taken over by big large financial institutions. So what happens? <laughs> we we no longer have the philanthropist in charge. Mm-hmm. We have the 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 guy who just says we have to make money no matter what, right? Gotcha, yep. So in the microfinance industry, we know that consumer protection it, it, we know now, I know now that it, it's not always um strong. It's very very weakened market. Hmm. Government aid agencies, commercial banks, nonprofits and socially minded investment firms have poured billions of dollars into the microfinance so that it's it, the reported number is at least 50 billion b wow. with a b so what's wrong with it <laughs> what's the controversy that the, there are not enough consumer protections globally mm-hmm. for microfinance we just saw that, for example, in your example of the in in the United States, of those course, payday yeah. lending. Uh, that's a type of microfinance because people are often getting a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, uh, and there's no very few consumer protections yeah. around those. Uh, you know, the interest rates again can be a hundred percent or more, which is just staggering. You cannot get out of poverty when you have to pay a loan off. Mm-hmm like that. Uh, And globally, we've seen that too, where uh, they're starting to, these, you know, bigger financial institutions, instead of the smaller, more localized institutions, they're charging interest rates that simply cannot be paid back. You know, it's it's not the way it's supposed to be. Microfinance should be a very low interest rate prospect because the idea is to get you out of poverty, not continue the cycle and keep you in yeah. poverty. It reminds me of, of those, the, the old company store, right? No right. matter what industry it would be in, you know, folks would be out away from their families, away from their homes. They'd be working at a remote location. And so the company, oh, how nice of them, would set up a <laughs> store right. to have supplies that the maybe miners or, or, you know, loggers or whoever would, would need. And they would just charge so much money for them, or they would give them credit that would just right. come out of their paycheck. And the, but the credit would have some, you know, interest involved in it. And it's again, the, the, you know, they by the time their paycheck comes, they're like, I got a dollar. <laughs> right. Right. They were, right. they were continuing to keep their employees in poverty. Yeah. That's what it sounds like to me. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what it does is it creates financial instability. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about uh, almost 2 billion people who are unbanked and they will go to these mm-hmm. institutions to get these microfinance loans. When, when they can't pay them back, it just creates more economic uh, instability within their community and their country. You know, it, yeah. it's just it balloons from there. And inflation hasn't helped uh, you know, it's made it worse for for consumers for for these folks who can barely pay for their daily yeah. costs of living. You know, their food, their shelter, medicine, all of that. Uh, you know, what we're talking about is, um, you know, just a a worsening of the poverty situation. Yeah. 
So before we move on to my little celebration of um, International Women's Day or International Day of the Women, <laughs> the woman, uh, you know, however you want to put that, uh, I, I want to talk about an article I saw in the New York Times recently. All right. And this was something, again, completely unaware of, uh, which is why I want to share it with listeners. Remember those, oh, you know, credit card perks, you know, you get oh. cash back one or 2% cash back. Um, you build up points so you can get discounts on airfares, mm -hmm. rental cars, um, book 10 hotel rooms and get one for free, that kind of thing, all related to credit cards. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great, right? <laughs> well... <laughs> Unless, yeah. <laughs> Unless. So here's what's happening. Poorer consumers are footing the bill for your free car rental. Re okay. Now there's guilt involved in the podcast. Right. How, I know. How is I that thought, working? What am I going to do? Because I am one of those people who uses a credit card in order to get uh, points yep. or airfare and yep. <laughs> those types of things. Me too. I'm literally getting a rental car next month. Uh, at, at a significant discount because of points on a credit card. <laughs> so I'm like, oh no, I have con contributed to this problem. You probably want to want to know how. Well, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> how is this happening, and what what exactly is happening? But there's a demand, uh, bigger demand recently for the you know the best credit card perks. This one, that one, the other one, um, and you have to recognize that someone has to pay for it. So who's paying for it? Uh, what's happening is lower income folks are charged higher interest rates often because their credit scores tend to not be as high. True. Yeah. And who gets that interest? The credit card company. Mm -hmm. So if they're charging 30% to the, to the poorer consumers and other wealthier consumers, they might have a 15% or 18% interest rate. Credit card rates are high, uh, but they're often paying it off at the end of the month. Mm -hmm. And these, the, the folks who don't have access to enough income are not able to do that. They're also getting late fees because they miss payments or they're behind. All of those costs that they incur are going to pay for those credit card perks. <laughs> How else is the finance company going to pay for it? Hmm. They're, they're not just giving it away. They have to make money somewhere. True. Yeah. So they that do. they can. Yeah. It, it's it, I was kind of ignorantly surprised. You know, I thought, why? how did I not know this? Yeah. I think a lot of people don't know it. Well, I think the first 15 years of my life uh, with my wife where we were poor and stupid and and <laughs> and had those high interest credit cards and got those fees, that paid for the the, the free airline tickets we're getting now. Can I say that? Is okay. That... Yeah. <laughs> That's one I'm going to justify it. it so I don't feel it's, guilty. I think but I get it, what typical. you're saying. Yeah, yeah I, I think I... it is too. But at the same time, my daughter's uh, is on the flip side of that coin, Kim, because we told her, don't do what we did. Mm -hmm. She got a credit card. Early on, I, th I think her first balance was like, or her first, uh, the amount she could get was like 600 bucks. We said, just use it for gas and pay it off every month. She has been religiously doing that. Now her, her total's up to like $6,000 that she's allowed to spend. She pays it off every month. And Good for her. she's great with her money. But now I'm going to tell her that she's 
making poor people pay for her perks. <laughs> You're going to destroy her. Don't tell her today. No, not, not on to, International not Day. Today. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it on International Grumpy Old Man Day. And there you I'll, go. That's what I'll say. Well, let me do a quick recap. Uh, we talked about the UN Sustainable Development Goal 1, mm -hmm. which is everything we need to do to decrease poverty worldwide. And by doing that, we're increasing the ability of the world's unhoused, unbanked, underserved communities to lift them out of poverty mm -hmm. and, and, and stop using those <laughs> predatory credit cards, yeah. I guess. I don't know. Um, we also talked about economic growth, uh, which is uh, sustainable development goal eight, and how ultimately we rely on the world's uh, nations to increase education, increase safe and equitable job opportunities, decrease the cost of being poor. It costs a lot to be poor. Mm -hmm. um, we talked about microfinance and it's not always the panacea we thought it was, but we need it to be. So that's something that, that needs to be focused on. Yeah. We talked about um, better consumer protections, both in the United States and worldwide, which helps lift people out of poverty. So if we have a consumer, just a simple example, if there's a maximum interest rate that these payday lenders can, mm -hmm. can charge, that's going to make a huge difference. So how do we do this? Um, we have to punish someone. <laughs> we have to punish the banking institutions mm -hmm. who are taking advantage of the unbanked and low-income depositors. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to happen through regulation, through um, shareholder resolutions in the sustainable investment industry, that kind of thing. We have to work harder on that. Um, in the U.S. specifically, we can and need to push government agencies to increase those consumer protection laws. I don't know how it works in, you know, a, a country in Southern Africa, how much access they have to um, the, the the politicians and mm -hmm. making change politically. I think it's pretty minimal, but we have to do that on the microfinance side. Um. Again, not just policy, but we can do this on a company level. Mm -hmm. We can do this with our investments, since this is called deep impact investing. Very true. <laughs> you know, how do we do it? We, you know, we want to look and see what companies we own. We want to see what they're doing. Um, or you want to have an advisor who's doing that for you. Because mm -hmm. maybe you don't have time to do that all day long. So if you need an advisor or you want to look at your portfolio from a different perspective, please call Johan Klaassen at Horizons Sustainable Financial Services because he's there for you. <laughs> he's gonna, he he's gonna help you. Yeah. And Johan's great. Johan's awesome. I miss seeing him every day, but you know, it, in reality, more people need to be looking at the companies that they're holding and holding those companies accountable by voting their proxies when, when resolutions are being filed. But you can reach Johan. Let me give you the number. 505-982-9661, or you can email info at horizonssfs.com. So before we close, I just want to give, uh, I want to recognize again that it is International Day of the Woman. I like that better than. Yeah, I like that better too. <laughs> Happy Women's Day, right? Uh, it, we want to highlight both the successes and the um, the, the struggles mm -hmm. 
that we all go through that women around the world go through. Uh, I was just thinking about that. I'm like, why aren't we doing that every day? I need to do it more often. True. Um, so I'm going to give a shout out to some spectacular women, women that I know, um, women in government, um, you know, they, I used to live in New Mexico. So, uh, the, our, the governor of New Mexico, Michelle Lujan Grisham, amazing woman, shout out to her and all the work she's doing. Uh, our friend, um, Melanie Stansbury, who is a U.S. congressional representative in New Mexico. I haven't met too many politicians here in Oregon yet, but I'll get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, women, I think everyone needs to think about this women already in their lives, their, their mothers, their sisters, their spouses, their children, all of those women that we often don't think of, uh, give them a shout out, uh, women in business that I know, I, I know a number of women who have small businesses, Mia, Ani, Lori, Danielle, <laughs> just some of the people who I know, um, the amazing women I know in finance in the financial industry, Kristen, Lisa, entirely too many people to name in that category. And I have a number of friends as well who are educators. So shout out Mm. to Lauren and Janice and Joy and Robin and probably a lot of others who I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. But again, it's not an exhaustive list, but again, shout out to all those amazing women I know. And you're all amazing. All of you. And Rose. And Rose. Spouses. I Rose. said spouse. Yes. yes. I'm going to put a shout out because I know that you are passionate about all these things that you do. And she is right there with you. She's she's along for the ride and I'm sure she's very supportive. So shout out to you, she Rose. Is, yes. She's incredibly supportive of everything I've done since she and I have been together, which is, you know, 18 plus years. Nice. She's been That's very fantastic. supportive. Yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. Well, then Ooh. I'm going to give a shout out to Kim. You're amazing. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank, Thank you, you for all that you do. I mean, this this truly is your passion. Yeah. And if somebody hasn't realized that by now, you just haven't heard enough podcasts. Go back and listen to more because you'll you'll figure that out very quickly. So yeah, I, sometimes I get you know on my soapbox a little too much, but somebody's got to do it. <laughs> That's right. Somebody's got to do it, and it should be a woman. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> there you it go. is. All yeah. right, Kim. Thank you so much. This has been fun. Thanks, Eric. I, I enjoy having these conversations with you and um, talking about women yeah, with you. Me too. <laughs> and of course, our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Grego Kyle. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Kim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego-Kyle, the sustainable, responsible, impact investing podcast, reminding you that it's time to invest like you give a damn. If you have questions about this podcast or topics you'd like to hear addressed on an upcoming podcast, please email me at kim at griego-kyle.com. That's G-R-I-E-G-O hyphen K-I-E-L dot com. Or give Horizons a call at 505-982-9661 and be sure to ask for Johan Klassen. 
Don't forget to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available and to share this podcast with colleagues, friends, and family. The companies I may speak about during the podcast are not recommendations for investment. Only you and your financial advisor can determine what the right investments are for you. Kimberly Griego-Kyle produces this podcast on behalf of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc. is a registered investment advisor registered with the SEC. Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc. and its financial professionals do not render tax or legal advice. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. None of this content may be used or duplicated without the express written agreement of the podcast host.